Hi, welcome back. You're in the Fitz News Studio. It was another huge week on the Rockstar Cheer Front, the story that has just been dominating headlines in South Carolina and across the country. We've got an update on that. A report filed on Fitz News this week created some major ripple effects in that industry. We want to talk about that story. We're also going to talk about responses to this coverage from the individuals who have been accused of facilitating this culture of sexual abuse within the American cheerleading industry. Most importantly, though, for the first time, We've heard from one of the survivors of this scandal. One of the Jane Doe's in the federal lawsuit spoke out. Fitz News is who she talked to. We're going to address that and much more on your Week in Review. All right, so we're going to start again this week with Rockstar Cheer. And again, the story just continues to escalate both in the courts, in the criminal investigation, uh, and in the media coverage of both of those angles of the story. And this week was no exception. Uh, and it started the very beginning of the week when this news outlet published a big story about some loopholes in the policing of the cheerleading industry. You know, we have these entities which were established to protect these cheerleaders, protect these athletes. Uh, I'm talking about the U.S. All-Star Federation. I'm talking about USA Cheer, both of which are named as defendants in the federal lawsuit that's been filed related to this case. But these entities were supposed to protect kids. They were supposed to keep them safe from predators they're supposed to ensure that the people working around these kids had clean records. Again, this is a, a systematic failure that we're dealing with here. And so one of the things that we pointed out, well, let's dig into that. Let's look at that failure. Let's talk about it. Let's find out what's sort of perpetuating it. And we found a couple loopholes that were very troubling. And, and again, I'm not a cheer parent, but cheer parents that we've spoken with over the course of this investigation have pointed these loopholes out to us as cause for concern. So we filed a huge report on Sunday uh, of this past week that dealt with these loopholes, that delved into these issues, that talked about exactly how predators were sneaking through this system and making their way to your kids. One of the loopholes was pretty simple, not enforcing punishments. And again, if you follow this story, you're very familiar with, with Scott Foster. He's the, the late founder, owner of Rockstar Cheer. And it was his suicide back on August 22nd of this year that, that launched this entire story. But Foster was actually suspended by one of these entities, by the, the U.S. All-Star Federation. In fact, he was suspended for a three-year period. But as we reported very early on in this process, that suspension was a suspension in name only, people. We've been forwarded with literally dozens of pictures of this guy at events, backstage, at practices, coaching at a time when he was supposed to have been away from the sport. So that was the first loophole, and we called it the Scott Foster loophole, which is basically these oversight agencies uh, suspend somebody and yet there's no accountability. They just continue. It's, it's like it never happened. So we dug into that. And one of the things that we found in doing that, and again, it's not just my reporting on this. I want to credit uh, Daniel Libet with uh, Sportico. Did a huge story on this, a national story, which delved into the fact that Varsity, which is the billion-dollar company that oversees, that dominates cheer, that oversees these independent entities, they're supposed to be protecting kids, that they didn't want to overly penalize people like Scott Foster because this is a million-dollar customer for them. 
huge customer. And if they crack down too hard on him, it keeps money from flowing into their pockets. What was it Bruce Springsteen said? Sooner or later, it's all about money. Well, there you have it. That's what was motivating that loophole. But there was another loophole. There was another loophole, and it involves another defendant in this federal lawsuit, one who was accused of actually raping a young girl. And in that loophole, basically you had sort of freelancers, if you will, people who weren't exactly coaches, they weren't exactly choreographers, they were sort of independent contractors, and they were being allowed into these gyms without anyone having to check whether or not they're certified with these so-called oversight bodies. And I'm talking about Kenny Feely is the, is the individual who was referenced in this particular instance. And Feely, again, a defendant in the federal lawsuit, accused of rape, but allowed to be in this gym, even though Foster allegedly set up the private lesson after which the rape occurred and knew about it and was talking about the alleged rape with the underage girl who was the, the victim of that assault. Now, there was a little good news. Two days after we filed our report, uh, Jen Barry Hawes with the, the Charleston Post and Courier, who, by the way, is another reporter who's doing excellent work on this story. If you, if you haven't read her coverage in the Charleston Post and Courier, I know they're a competitor of ours, but please check it out. She is, she's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, folks, and she has done great work on this story, Jen Barry Hawes with the, the Charleston Post and Courier. But she filed a report which revealed that <laughs> all of a sudden, after we raised these issues about the loopholes, all of a sudden, the list, the ineligible list maintained by one of these oversight agencies starts pop, 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 popping up with all these names. Pop, pop, pop. Names that weren't there. The list goes from like triples in size, basically. What a coincidence, right? All of a sudden, they're, they're starting to crack down. And so a lot of the names that we had been seeing th come through our tip line and our director of research, Jen Wood, who has been doing, by the way, an absolutely amazing job on this report. All of a sudden, the names that we had been seeing and Jen had been seeing, they start, start finding their way on that list. Hmm. Better late than never? No, not really. Not really. But we'll say this. They're paying attention. They know we're on to them. And not just us, but all these other media outlets that I'm referring to. And we're going to keep that pressure on. All right, so another component of the Rockstar Cheer revulsion that we covered this week was the, what I call, denial tour. Apparently, this was the week everybody accused of misconduct in this massive federal lawsuit alleging a culture of sex abuse within the American cheerleading industry. Apparently, everybody got a memo this, this week that this was the time to deny all allegations. And they did that. The highest profile of these denials came from Jeff Webb. He is the former CEO and the founder of Varsity, that multi-billion dollar company that dominates this industry. And in the lawsuit, Webb has been accused of basically being the architect of this conspiracy. And yes, folks, we're talking about an alleged RICO conspiracy. Uh, but Webb came out strong called the lawsuit meritless, said he would be pushing to have his name removed as a defendant. And he said that any allegation that he was involved in this conduct was, and I quote, defamatory and spurious. So we will keep an eye on that 
element of this case as it advances. But there was another high-profile denial, Kenny Feely. We talked about him just a moment ago in the first segment. He issued a statement from his family, namely himself and his wife, Lisa O'Coin, in which he also denied the allegations, the rape allegation in particular in this lawsuit. He called the claims categorically false and vowed to fight to protect his reputation as one of the top coaches in the cheerleading industry. So that's a component of this story we're going to be focused on moving forward as folks address this lawsuit. It's not just allegations. There are responses to those allegations. And that brings me to an important point as we cover this story. And this matters. Do I buy these denials? Mm. I'm skeptical. But people have a right to have say their piece. That's what we're here. I mean, obviously, I have an obligation to call out the BS when I see it. But these folks have a right to say their piece. I mean, we, you know, you're accused of something. This is America. You get to not only fight back in court, but you get to fight back in the court of public opinion. That's exactly how it should be. Exactly how it should be. But that brought me to another point that I wanted to raise because we published a column this week that was probably one of the most compelling things that has ever appeared on our news out. And I know that because it wasn't from us. It was from someone who probably has a perspective on this case unlike any other. Certainly a perspective that someone like me, someone like most of the folks watching this could never comprehend. And I'm talking about a column from one of the victims, one of the survivors. That's right. This week on Fitz News, the first published account from a Jane Doe, from one of the Jane Does in the federal lawsuit was published. And I'm not going to get too into it right now because, again, it's you can read it on the website, but it's incredibly personal. It's incredibly compelling. We're going to get into it on the Cheer Incorporated podcast, our, our upcoming episode. By the way, if you haven't checked that out, please do it. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify, Cheer Incorporated. Two episodes in, check that out. We go much deeper into this story. But I wanted to read something from this column because, I, again, we, we cover it. You read it. We all talk about it. But this is someone who lived it. And I wanted to just read a quick quote from this. Some of us are told not to speak up for ourselves, to be quiet, to not draw attention to ourselves. Some of the people telling us that are our very own parents, family members, or best friends. It confuses us because as kids, we were taught it's okay to have a voice. It's okay to stick up for yourself. Aren't we making bullying a topic for kids these days due to suicide as a result? Yes, but I can't talk about being raped or sexually assaulted. It's painful. This chain has to stop. I'm proud of this group of nine people, including myself, for standing up. But let me assure you, it isn't easy. Again, this... I hope you go to fitznews.com to read this entire column. But again, one of the more compelling things I've read. And it's a reminder as we discuss this that perspectives matter. Perspectives matter. 
And we've got to take them all into account as we follow the story, just like the Murdoch murders, the crime and corruption cycle we've been covering. So many angles, so many components to it. And we get so into it, we get so wrapped around the axle sometimes. But it's important to take all these perspectives into account. And that's one of the things we do at Fitz News, the open microphone. It's that way for political stuff. It's that way for this story. It's that way for every story we cover. We want to hear intelligent takes on these issues. If there's something we've missed, let us know. If there's something we got wrong, something you think we're off the mark on, let us know because those perspectives matter too. There are a lot of people in this business that will block you, that will troll you, that will delete your comments, that will attack you if, if, if they disagree with you. That's not how we do it here. Not anymore anyway. That's not how we do it. We host a marketplace of ideas, even if those ideas run counter to the ones that we put out there. And that matters on every story, but I cannot think, people, of a story where it matters more than this one. So whether you're reading Fitz News or whether you're watching this program, The Week in Review, or whether you're listening to the Cheer Incorporated podcast, know this, we will host that conversation. And in the process, that will lead to the accountability that the victims and survivors in this case deserve. All right, so we had some Murdoch news this week, and I'm not just talking about the big story that we filed on Tuesday regarding Yemisee Police Chief Greg Alexander, whose role in this story continues to expand. There was some big news on Greg Alexander this past week, which we covered, but I want to go past that because if you follow the Murdoch story, you, you already know about that. You know all about Greg Alexander's involvement with the family. He's the alleged Murdoch fixer. He's the guy that got the $5,000 check from Alec Murdoch in the aftermath of the murders back in, in June of last year. He's the guy that got a couple thousand more in campaign contributions from various Murdoch allies. And again, the alleged family fixer, Yemisee Police Chief Greg Alexander. But the big news this week ended up breaking later in the week, and that's an exclusive report that was filed on Fitz News revealing that Alec Murdoch, the disbarred, disgraced attorney at the heart of this Huge scandal. The guy who's accused of killing his wife and son last spring at their Moselle hunting property in Colleton County. Alec Murdoch tried to cut a deal. Tried to cut a deal, not just with the state, which is prosecuting him on multiple charges, financial charges, murder charges, potentially obstruction of justice charges, fraud charges. I mean... Drug charges. <laughs> I mean, this guy's facing decades in prison. He'll probably be facing centuries in prison by the time it's done. But he tried to cut a deal. And he didn't just try and cut a deal with the state. tried to cut a deal with the feds, too. According to sources close to this case, Murdoch's attorneys have offered what's called a proffer, an agreement to provide information to prosecutors in exchange for consideration regarding charges and sentencing against them. Pretty significant piece of information, don't you think? We think so too. Now, what was the response? You're hearing it. Crickets, people. Nothing. Murdoch's proffers to the state and the feds met with absolute 
radio silence. Now, I reached out to Murdoch's attorneys, Harpootlian and Griffin, and they told me, quote, we have not participated in, not asked for, and not been offered any proffers from either the state or the feds. So a complete denial there. But again, our sources are adamant on this point. Now, this is a significant development. It signals a couple of things. Number one, if you're a prosecutor, you don't engage in that proffer discussion unless you think you've got a weak case. Or if you think that there's some benefit to not trying the case because, you know, whether it's cost too much or would be too hard to pull off or, you know, it could be any number of different reasons. But to completely refuse to even engage in that discussion, that's significant. And to me, that symbol signals they've got a strong case against Alec Murdoch for the murders. Now, it is interesting, however, that Murdoch has yet to be charged federally. And we've talked about this extensively on this show. We've talked about it extensively on Fitz News. And the reason for that, many believe, is that if Murdoch were to be charged federally, there would be a mad rush by his attorneys uh, Dick Harpootlin and Jim Griffin to get to the federal courthouse as soon as possible and enter a plea immediately. Say, yes, charges, we'll plead guilty today. And then that way Murdoch can spend time in a federal penitentiary instead of one of the South Carolina Department of Correction facilities with people. <laughs> in case you didn't read our coverage of the Lee riot a few years ago, you don't want to go to one of these facilities. But that's been the speculation that the feds have stayed out of this case because they don't want to be perceived as giving Alec Murdoch an out. And that perception has been fueled also by the fact that Dick Harpootlin, very well connected with, with federal government sources, and not just during his time as a former prosecutor, not just his status as a state senator, but this is one of the guys who got Joe Biden elected in South Carolina people. This is a guy who's got real pull with the Department of Justice. Wife's an ambassador, for crying out loud. I mean, this is a guy who is connected. And so the, the perception of somebody like that going to the federal government and cutting a deal would just look terrible, particularly if it resulted in a sentence that kept Alec Murdoch from facing some, some more stringent consequences. But we're going to continue to follow this proffer development as it unfolds. Again, a major, major development in the Murdoch murders, crime and corruption saga, which continues to move toward a January trial on those murder charges at the state level in Colorado County, South Carolina, count on Fitz News to continue to cover every step of this trial and to lead the coverage of this story. All right, so we cover a lot of dense, depressing, deadly, disturbing. I'm trying to think of another D word to throw in here in this. Dastardly. Dylan Nolan with Dastardly. Dastardly Dylan. We cover a lot of bad stuff. And so. Sometimes it's fun to not do that, to cover some lighter stuff. And we used to cover a lot of Southern Charm news. And in case you're not familiar with this show, Fitz News back in 2012, I think it was, were the first news outlet to report on this, a reality television show coming to Charleston, South Carolina. Now, we had no idea that it would be Southern Charm, that it would turn into this massive franchise for Bravo TV. And by the way, I am, you know, I'm a little miffed here because if you're a long time Southern Charm fan, you'll know that the very first episode of the very first season, this guy starring, literally first scene, act one, scene one, 
Unfortunately, my reality television career only lasted about half a minute. But, I mean, I'm the one that got Catherine Dennis on the show. And if you're not familiar with Catherine Dennis, I'm going to pull up. This is a this is a mugshot from, I wish you could see this if you're listening on the podcast, because it's quite the Edie Sedgwick moment here. This was Catherine Dennis back in 2012 uh, when she was arrested for, I think it was a simple possession. It, was, it wasn't a big charge. But um, this mugshot, within a year, okay, this got, took off in South Carolina, first published on Fitz News, but blew up. It was on like all the hottest mugshot websites. And she ended up on Inside Edition within the year. Uh, became a hugely famous model. And it was from there that on that first set, first chef show, first episode of Southern Charm, I told those guys, you got to get this girl on the show. And told Thomas Ravenel, who was the star of that show at the time, this is going to be the combustible love interest that's going to draw your viewers. And sure enough, man, Bravo built the franchise on those two crazy people going at it. Built the franchise on them. But anyway, I should have been, I should have negotiated a cut of that deal, right? But anyway, Southern Charm, eight years later, still rocking, still rolling, still got the big, sweet advertising dollars for Bravo. But they're looking for new male leads. You know, Thomas Ravenel is, is gone. It's a little too combustible for the show apparently that concoction i put together was a little too unstable but i guess when you put you know chemical dependency substance abuse itching inferiority complexes oh let's put that on television oh and the guy's running for the united states senate at the time amazing that that found its way into a dramatic narrative but anyway Southern Charm is back, people. And again, we hadn't covered it for a while, but we put together two of the most, I think, amazing things in the reality TV world because we took, and it's funny how all these things seem to start on Fitz News and then end up on Bravo. But guess who has been approached by the stars of Southern Charm at the request of their producers to appear on the show? None other than Ron Rawless. And if you're new to the show, folks, this is a guy whose wife stepped down on him with a U.S. congressman, and he quite simply flipped the F out, like literally kind of lost his mind for a little while, painted a church in Greenville that he had purchased pink with the trap, turned it into a trap museum, or was going to, anyway, apparently sold it. But this, this guy's just wow, we interviewed him up in the church. Again, surprisingly lucid, surprisingly candid guy, but the public persona is just like, bam, wide open. Perfect, perfect for Southern Charm. But Ron Ross has been approached in what is probably Congressman William Timmons' worst nightmare. Timmons, of course, is the guy who's uh, stepping out on Ross or stepping out with his wife. I mean... <laughs> You can't script it, people. But again, starts on Fitz News, ends up on Bravo. Funny how that works. But Rollis is actually said that he's interested in doing the show. In fact, I interviewed him shortly after we broke that news. He told me that it was getting a little cold for him up in the Hamptons where he likes to vacation during the summer, that he was ready to come back to South Carolina and stir the pot, which music by ears, because I'm telling you, people, this guy, he drove that William Timmons sex scandal. 
William Timmons started it. William Timmons was the one that came out with this bizarre statement that was totally unsolicited, saying, please give me your prayers and privacy as I deal with this difficult personal issue, which was the fact that he was um, you know, sleeping around with Ron Rawls' wife. So it was Timmons that started, but it was Ron Rawls that drove that narrative. And apparently, folks, he's about to start driving narratives on Bravo TV's Southern Charm, which, again, I haven't watched that show in years. But, folks, if Ron Rawls is on that show, I am watching. I am watching every episode. I will even, what do they do? What do the kids do, Dylan? They Netflix. They Netflix and chill with it? Is that what they do? Is that a thing? Is that something that goes on the TikTok? Netflixing and chill? I don't know. The thing where you record it, I don't know. I have six TVs in my house, and I have control of none of them. None of them. But anyway, if, if he's on that show, folks, I will watch it. But I will, I do, there's one other thing I wanted to mention on this, because it is relevant. If you're not a reality TV fan, if you don't care about who's sleeping with whose you know, wife, and again, I really didn't either. I really didn't care about the story. William Timmons was the one whose unsolicited statement to this news outlet kicked that scandal off. And I probably would have quit caring about it if William Timmons hadn't gone on the radio up in Greenville and started chewing this website out for gutter gossip on a, a story he, he literally pushed out the door. But anyway, whatever. But if you don't care about reality TV, there is a component of the story you should care about because there's political fallout for this for William Timmons. And I'm talking about three candidates in the South Carolina upstate who have emerged as potential challengers to William Timmons in the coming election. Now, Timmons is unopposed this election cycle. He's going to be reelected. Despite the scandal, he's going to win a third term in the U.S. Congress. But the Republican primary for the next election, which is going to start in earnest next year, He's going to face three different challengers. We've confirmed their names. State Representative Bobby Cox, strongly considering a challenge to William Timmons. State Representative Adam Morgan, strongly considering a challenge to William Timmons. And last but not least, a guy who almost won this seat the last time there was an open primary for it, Senator Richard Cash, who has been one of the lead proponents for that total ban of abortions down in the South Carolina State House this year. So three credible challengers, all indicating interest in running against William Timmons in the coming election cycle. So, William Timmons, you've got a couple problems this week, man. You've got the absolutely unhinged, enraged, strange husband of your mistress about to go on reality television and you got three credible ca- candidates coming out in the mix against you. And guess what? You know what, people? Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. But count on Fitz News to not only keep you in the loop on all the latest craziness with this reality TV drama, which, again, it's fun to take a break from the serious stuff and cover this. Right? I had fun this week. I had fun. But we'll keep you up to speed not only on that drama, but more importantly, if you're a taxpayer in the 4th District, if you care about your representation in the U.S. Congress, We'll keep you in the loop on the very latest developments as it relates to William Timmons' political future in the South Carolina upstate. All right, that's it for this edition of the Week in Review. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Once again, if you haven't checked out Cheer Incorporated, our podcast devoted to the Rockstar Cheer saga, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify. We've got another big edition coming this week. 
mirroring what we think will be some big developments in that Rockstar Cheer story. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep it tuned to Fitz News for the very latest.